Hello and welcome to The Beef Edge, the Chagas Beef Podcast, for all your latest news, information and advice for Irish beef farmers. I'm Catherine Egan and as part of Animal Health Awareness Week 2020, which is taking place this week, organised by the Department of Agriculture, Food and Marine, I'm joined by Michal Casey, Head of the Department Regional Veterinary Labs. The Regional Veterinary Lab Network provides animal post-mortem examinations, surveillance of disease, laboratory diagnosis services, and expertise to the farming community via veterinary practitioners. I first ask Michal, why does the Department of Agriculture operate a lab service? Well, I suppose that, that reason has, has evolved over the time that existed. The, the, the regional veterinary labs were established in the, the late 60s and early 70s initially as, as a diagnostic service providing, I suppose, individual diagnoses and backing up um, veterinary practitioners and farmers. At, at that time, Ireland was looking at joining the European Union and there was a general investment in agriculture and agricultural services. But over the years since then, it, that, obviously that role continues and that's very much the core of what we do. But there's been a greater emphasis on the data produced from that and the use of that for surveillance purposes. So as well as continuing to provide its original core service, um, it also provides the department with um, data on what diseases we have and, and more importantly, what diseases we don't have. And it also provides, I suppose, an early detection mechanism for new diseases coming in. And, and even with the diseases we already have, um, it, it provides information on, on patterns and, and changes in the, in the prevalence of diseases and, and where diseases have changed in terms of maybe the time of the year or the type of animal affected or things like that. And is it expensive to get a post-mortem done on an animal? Well, I suppose that, that will depend on, on someone's perception. Um, the, the, the cost is actually very heavily subsidised. So the, the cost would, would vary between, I suppose, at the, at the lowest in around eight euros, maybe for, for a small fetus and, and up to maybe for the biggest animal, somewhere close to 70 euros. But in, in fact, when, when we look at the true costs uh, of all the, the tests done, and as you know, science is never cheap, um, that's in around probably 10% of the true cost. So one of the reasons, and I suppose back to your original question, one of the reasons the department does this is that it's widely recognised across all developed countries that this could never be a commercial service. This will always be a loss-making service. And, um, you know, private labs have a role and, and provide a lot of services to agriculture. But this is one where private labs really can't um, justify it because um, it, it's a very, very expensive thing to do. So while our fees um, may seem, I suppose, to someone who's already had a loss, may seem like, like a, a, an expense and they're, they're, they're actually, you know, they're only a, a fraction of what's actually costing the state. And from the postmortems that are done, what do animals typically die of? Well, I suppose that one of the things I suppose that we, we are always aware of is that, that um, our figures and our data is reflective of the animals we see. So we, our, our data is somewhat biased in that we tend to see the animals that, that people and their vets, farmers and their vets, don't know what they've died of. So we're, we're, a lot of animals will probably die of, of complications of, of, of calving and things like that where, where we won't ever see them because the cause is known. So from our point of view, we're looking at the causes of sudden deaths. And they are, I suppose, typically um, infectious diseases, um, respiratory diseases, things like clostridial disease, and um, I suppose then the full range besides then of, of um, parasitic infectious metabolic diseases. Um, in the, in the spring, we, we, we see a lot of grass tetanus, for example, which is a metabolic disease. 
And um, so we, we do see the full gamut, but we, we do appreciate that there are diseases, say, like red water, that we would see very little of, but we, yet we know it kills a lot of cattle every year. Um, but because it's so readily diagnosed in the field by the farmer and the vet, um, we don't tend to see those. Michal, in the past few weeks, a lot of stock have been housed around the country. In particular, what kind of cases have you seen recently? We particularly, it, it, it's probably um, the, the most remarkable thing going on at the moment, I'd say, is probably lungworm or hooze, um, which is Dictyocolis. It's, it's a, a very familiar parasite, I'd say, to a lot of farmers. But um, we're particularly seeing, I suppose, that um, there's a few things that are different about this year. We had a, a very dry early part of the year, and that tends to have an effect on parasites of, of trapping parasites in the dung pat. So when, when eggs or larvae are, are in the, the, the dung of animals, they're not released onto the pasture if you have very dry weather. And then when the, when the weather turns very wet, you get a, a surge. So as well as that, I suppose, with, with weanlings, they tend not to get the dosed early in the year. And, and some of them have been housed without any dosing. And we've certainly seen quite a bit of lungworm and quite a few, a few fatalities. The other thing we've seen, I'd say, again, to do with lungworm is certainly suspicion on some people's behalf, but we, we have not been able to confirm it. I want to emphasize that. But people suspecting that their dose hasn't worked for lungworm because they've, they've dosed two or three weeks ago and then animals are dying with lungworm. But we, we honestly believe it's just due, due to the severity of the challenge and um, you know that, that they have been dosed. The dose has probably worked, but they've remained on the same pasture and, and then um, they're dying close to housing or at housing. Even after farmers bring the animal to the lab, do you ever fail to find a cause of death? Oh, we do. We do. I mean, the, the, it would be true, I'd say, of, of lab services that do what we do around the world, that we have a diagnostic rate and we have a rate of diagnosis not reached. And in, so there's a range of reasons for that. Um, it, in, in, in some cases, it's, it's due to the state of the animal, and that's something we might talk about in, in later on, is... Um, in terms of, of getting good fresh material and um, in other cases there may have been treated before they were submitted and certainly where antibiotics have been used we find it very hard to grow the bacteria in the lab even though the bacteria may have been um, active enough to kill the animal they often don't perform and grow in culture um, and then there's a range of other reasons there's, there's, there's bugs we may not yet have tests for there's bugs we may not be aware of so among all lab services, those animals where we haven't reached a diagnosis, they're always of particular interest. And I suppose it's a particular focus we're, we have of, of constantly drilling into that and constantly, I suppose, trying to revise the tests we offer and, and um, develop towards um, having a wider range of, of tests and, and greater ability to detect those um, diagnosis not reached cases. Yeah, and you mentioned early detection is important. And during the course of the year, when would you see the busiest time of the year? Well, our, our uh, workload follows farming, really. So when, when, when farming is, um, is experiencing the greatest challenges, I suppose, is in the springtime in terms of that's when cows are calving and, and sheep are lambing. And we get the complications of that. Both initially, we get abortions and, and premature calvings and, and then the complications associated with birth. And then you get disease, neonatal disease in newborn calves and lambs. And again, a lot of metabolic issues in terms of, of, a cow, of cows coming into milk. And um, sheep in late pregnancy tend to suffer a lot with, with metabolic problems. So the, the spring is, is our peak. And then in the, in the, it, it, it tends to ease off in the, in the summer 
but luckily that kind of coincides with the usual thing of, of people taking holidays. So our staffing tends to be a bit lighter in the summer. And then uh, we get a second surge in the autumn um, association, I suppose, with, with housing and um, probably parasitic diseases, liver fluke and lungworm and things like that. And at housing, uh, again, there tends to be a time when respiratory disease peaks. So we have two peaks in the year, a spring one, which is a very large one, and a smaller autumn one. But um, it, it pretty much follows, it follows farming. Apart from difficult calves that you just mentioned, what would you see as the big issues for calves' deaths on farms? The, the two, in, in, in my entire time in service, and in fact, in the entire, entire life of the, of the, the lab service, I'd say that the, the two things that, that remain an issue would be um, enteric disease, scours, calf scours and calf diarrhea and respiratory disease. And I suppose it, the, there certainly has been a, a tendency over the, the generations to regard calf housing as a kind of a secondary consideration. So in a lot of cases, the respiratory disease is related to suboptimal housing where calf housing maybe isn't as, as well thought through sometimes as housing for, for cows and, and mature animals. So um, a lot of the, the respiratory disease we see is what, what we call an environmental factor is the main one. And then you have an opportunist bug taking advantage of that. And then come back again, we get the, the calf diarrhea. And again, that's, I suppose, generally to do with where there are larger numbers and where there's uh, transmission of, of uh, bacteria and viruses between, first of all, from older stock to calves and then between the calves once it gets going. You mentioned finding disease patterns was a major part of the role of the regional veterinary labs. What do you mean by exotic diseases? By exotic diseases are, are diseases we don't have. So when we're looking at patterns, we're looking at diseases we, we have and that we, we um, monitor the, the, the rates and incidence of those and if there's a change in those. But exotic diseases are the ones I suppose we hope we don't find. But the only way of finding those early and, and taking um, action on them is to have... I suppose, a service that's, that's determining the cause of death and something we, we focus maybe on post-mortems, but we also offer clinical pathology to veterinary practitioners and uh, to farmers through their vets. And so uh, some of what we deal with is, is samples coming in from, from live animals. But all of that gives us, I suppose, a, a plugged-in connection to farmers and to vets and to hear what they're seeing to, um, and, and then to, to get um, material in or animals in to, to get to the bottom of, of, of deaths or disease. So the, the type of exotic disease we're, we're, um, we, we, disease we've found a, a range of them over, year, over the years. The one, I suppose, that keeps um, on the agenda all the time is, is foot and mouth. And, you know, again, that's a very high impact disease. And we have, those of us who are old enough to remember 2001, we remember the, the impact it had on the UK and how close we came to having a major impact. We had quite a, we had quite an impact from it, from a very small number of cases, but we had um, we were successful in stamping it out in a relatively confined area. Yeah, I think not many farmers will forget 2001. Most farmers are familiar with the saying, where there's livestock, there's dead stock. But for any farmer that finds themselves in a situation and hear what you've said today, how did they go about getting an animal into the lab or what's your protocol? Well, I suppose the key thing to get across is that, that we, we operate through the, the veterinary practitioners and what we do is, is a, is a three-way collaboration, us, the, the veterinary practitioner and the farmer. And we're very dependent on the vet to, to refer cases to us. So the, the, the key thing would be that the farmer would contact their vet and if they're interested in referring 
to to us for either tests or for postmortems. That's that's the route in. And just to explain, I suppose that there's a number of reasons for that. First of all, we get a lot of information. We don't just do a postmortem on on an animal um, cold, if you like. We like to get a full farm history and full details of the disease patterns and so on on the farm and in that particular animal as well, what signs it has been showing in some detail. So to get that, what we call a clinical history, the vet is, is essential in, in that, in, in, in giving us that. And we very much rely on, on the farmer-vet relationship being a strong one. And then um, similarly, when it comes to our results, we report them out through the vet. And again, that's to ensure that there's both interpretation of the results and that there's ongoing appropriate care of the animal because we're not in a position to see that um, an appropriate prescription or vaccine or program is put in place. So that's the key to understand is that it's, it's, not, um, it's not us and the farmers against the disease. It's, it's very much a three-way partnership. And we've built very strong relationships with the veterinary practitioners um, report, who, who are in the catchments of the different labs. And that's, that's how it operates. So it's, it's really a request to the, the vet. The vet will, will book a post-mortem with us and we, we do work with the, with the booking system. And occasionally at times we, we, we can't take just through volume, but in general, we try to facilitate people. And um, then they, the, the farmer delivers the animal to the, the, the lab and um, the post-mortem or examination is done and tests are done and reports are generally issued um, on the basis of interim reports. There's, there's sometimes more than one report as we have results. Some very interesting points, Michal, and definitely farmers should consider making more use of this service. Tomorrow, you have a very interesting webinar titled Problems and Opportunities, Cattle Health from Different Perspectives. Why should farmers tune in and how do they tune in? I think it's, it's important, I suppose, to, to keep in touch with, with the changes in, 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 in disease patterns. We report our own findings each year in an annual um, sur- animal disease surveillance report. Our most recent one is just out. And this and, and uh, events like the webinar, I think it's very important that, um, that we all keep up to date with, with what's happening and changes both. Our, our enterprises are changing. The tools we use to manage diseases are changing and the diseases themselves are changing. So what I'd urge people to do tomorrow um, for, the, for the webinar, the, the simplest thing probably to do in this format, in, a, in, a, in an audio format, is to say to people if they, if they Google Animal Health Week webinar and the first gov.ie link there is, is, the, is the simplest way into it. Um, the, the, there's there's a, a range of topics being, being covered in these webinars and um, I suppose it's, it's, it's a chance to hear the latest and I certainly hope to tune in myself and, and hear the, the um, discussion. That's perfect. Thanks, Michal. I'll include the links in the text for the podcast. Thanks very much, Catherine. That's all for this week's episode and my thanks to Michal for joining me on the show. You can catch up on all other shows and interviews from the Beef Edge podcast on the Chagas website at chagas.ie or you can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe so you never miss a show. For all other updates from our Beef programme, keep an eye on our Twitter and Facebook pages. Until next time, I'm Catherine Egan and thanks for listening.